0: Tired of feeling like a pawn in a world run by the devil? Overwhelmed by the constant barrage of negative influences from this world? We invite you to join us at the 2023 Men's Gathering, where we are excited to welcome the mad Christian himself, Reverend Jonathan Fisk. Close to 150 men will descend upon Lakeview Villages in Seymour, Indiana, the weekend after Easter, April 13th to the 16th. We hope you can join us for a relaxing weekend where our brotherhood is strengthened and new friends are made every year. Visit our website at mensgathering.us for more information and to register. Find us on Facebook for additional info leading up to the event. We are expecting a full crowd this year, so make sure to register
1: early to reserve your spot. We hope you'll join us as we learn how to stop the white noise at the 2023 Men's Gathering, a proud supporter of A Brief History of Power.
0: This episode was recorded before publication of Luther's Large Catechism with annotations and contemporary applications was resumed. Dr. Coons, we last left off last time with you asking a question that yeah, I don't really want it to detract this for the whole show here, but it you kind of said we should spend more time on this show thinking about your your information nutrition or uh, the the purity of the the value of the trustworthiness of your information. And you talked about the, the standard American pastime of, of watching a flick, but you didn't talk about it as if it was watching a flick. You talked about it as if it was having a very deep, maybe even kind of like emotionally intertwining conversation with the author. The, yeah. the, the movie maker and I think there's something really important there like it's it's so much it's like a soul merge right or it's like borrowing somebody's dream and then you ask Correct. the question why would I want to do that and what's what bothers me is like this entire conversation when I normally try to have it the result is something like are you saying movies are evil why don't you watch movies and it's like oh, but I, I I took a lot of time to make a nuanced question <laughs> right right and all you can tell me is i'm being a legalist right, uh, right. And, and so I, I think your question is is just so spot on do i really want the soul of james gunn just to put one out there i've enjoyed his movies <laughs> do i really want his soul in my house tonight yeah you know wherein i can't have any conversation with him i'm not changing him tonight but he can change me and, and he can change my children. And I think that's just such an important question. So I want you to talk more about it.
1: And people are feeding their souls on the spiritual equivalent of beyond meat, basically. I mean, it it looks real, maybe, but it's actually disgusting and full of seed oils that are going to cause all kinds of metabolic dysfunction. And you're just stuffing that goop down your gullet and, you know then you're shocked to realize that your soul has been warped by the evils that you're consuming. There are are several ways to look at this, but maybe the simplest way is to think about a movie from the last time that New York had crime rates somewhat like today's, not as high as the early 90s, but that was the early 70s. You got a series of movies, I think there might have been up to – four of them based on what was originally a book. The movies were called death wish. And in the first, this is, this is what made Charles Bronson a film star. And in death wish, the guy's wife and daughter are assaulted. I think the daughter is killed or no, the wife is killed and the daughter dies later. or goes insane or something. I don't know. You guys know I'm bad at remembering movies, but the guy the, – the man whose name is Paul Kersey is changed when he takes a trip. He's an architect. We're going to talk about architecture today. We're also going to talk about crime. He's an architect and he takes a trip to Arizona to work on some kind of development scheme. And he meets a, he meets a cowboy in Arizona. That's historically what Arizona is. It's not a retirement destination it, for it, Midwesterners.
0: It is definitely the heartland of, <laughs> of cattle herding. <laughs>
1: But historically, it was, you know, it was a cowboy. It was a Western state. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so
0: no, wait. I want to step back, though. I mean, is is that somewhat yeah. of a testimony to just how much New York does think about the rest of the country? Like to them, Arizona is pure cowboy.
1: When it's... I think. Yeah. I think in the early 70s, it was probably truer. But yeah, I mean, you know, test a New Yorker's awareness of the growth of Phoenix. He probably doesn't have any awareness right? Right. He knows they
0: play the Suns like twice a year or something, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, yeah. but right. Cowboy, again, like, I mean, I've been through Arizona enough and there, there is, there is, there's a Southwestern flair. It's Western. Yeah. It's, not, it's not Cowboy. Right. It's not Cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway,
1: please go on. So, so he goes there and the, and the Cowboy kind of hears what has gone on in this guy's life. He's like, we just wouldn't put up with that. We just wouldn't put up with that here. Huh. And he gives him a gun and I think I've We've talked about this before in the show because it's just so emblematic of certain things about the 70s. But he takes a gun back to New York and begins practicing vigilante justice in New York City. Okay. A couple things here that are actually constants in our media, even before broadcast media, is that crime in cities is generally projected onto somewhere else in the United States. So the, quote, Wild West was less violent than New York City in the 1880s. Modern policing really takes off in New York City, especially as to the size of the force, particularly in order to keep under some kind of control, both the mob in the in the sense that we generally understand and not the way we talked about Baltimore last week, but the mob and also violence between ethnic groups and what's an increasingly ethnically, if not particularly racially diverse city in the 19th century – so there's there's always kind of a, a projection of violence onto unsettled or rural areas that, if you look at the history, is generally much more reliably true of cities, particularly of New York City, than of the rest of the country. So, you know, the idea that I need to lock my doors at night is going to become a, a thing in New York City long before it becomes a thing in a rural area. even relatively close to New York City. There's also, in addition to that projection of their problems onto somewhere else, is the admission that what they can obtain as to quality of life is really probably actually available somewhere else. Maybe in a city that that they don't consider to be notable at all, maybe Phoenix, but maybe also in a rural area. So there's the scene when Paul Kersey first gets back to New York, the shots have been wide open, clear, you know, brilliant blue sky in Arizona. And he gets back to New York and he's in a traffic jam, you know? So I guess I'm at the top of the world. I guess we're really important here, but why am I living like a rat? So the, all those, all those things, I think, flow together into something that needs to be acknowledged. It's not just that cities are important in ways that we laid out, and I I hope dynamics that we spelled out last week. It's also that the decay and the decline of our civilization is seen particularly pointedly in our cities, and that when we are consuming media produced by people from those places, I... I always noticed this growing up is that people were so much more nervous on television. I don't mean like scared, nervous. I mean like they talked really fast and they were wound up and they were kind of rude on TV and that wasn't what people were like around me on a daily basis. (laughs) And I always wondered why, why would I put things from those people with their nervous cramped lives into my life? I don't want to be like that. So there are visions of what reality is like or what it needs to be like or how much you need to mistrust people you're going to see in the grocery store, which is the first place that you see the people that are going to destroy Paul Kersey's family in that movie. Maybe I don't live anywhere that the grocery store is like that. So maybe I don't need to be thinking about the grocery store that way. And I think that a lot of people are just taking things produced sort of like beyond meat from a completely different environment that is wildly unwholesome and just stuffing them into their souls. And then they're surprised when gradually by and by they or their children and their grandchildren or whatever, gradually bring New York City or whatever kind of dysfunction may be from wherever home.
0: Well, I just, all I hear is that you don't like having fun and that you are judgmental against people (laughs) who do.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, obviously, right precisely yep i i think that one way to to i think see this especially the the notion of decay or decline most pointedly is to look at you know i think paul kersey might be designing things like shopping malls and stuff in a predictably hideous 70s way in that movie while wearing turtlenecks with sport jackets but I think the best way to look at this is to look at architecture. So I want to start out before looking you, at... Before you do that, yeah, I mean, you're yeah, go there, but,
0: but, you know, while we're on it, it was about 10 years later, they made another movie about New York. And in this movie, they built a wall around the city and they put bombs on the bridges and then they just left everyone inside to fend for themselves. And <laughs> I think they made another one. There was an escape from somewhere else too, but, but um, oh, now it's name. Did his they escape name. from L.A.? It wasn't escape from L. A. It was it was much later. But escape from New York, in some ways, was its own dystopic projection of kind of what crime in the city would become, right? Yeah. There was sort of an an unavailability to it. I just think it kind of goes it goes right there with this. um, Well, first off, why are we watching these other people's dreams conversation that we're having? But then right. then a second one about why are these or uh, do I need unwholesome things from far away, period, uh, influencing me? And in this way, then how do I how do I engage uh, what I know about New York as a city right now um, or any of the things it influences, which is, as we talked about last time, everything right now?
1: The vision of a, the dystopian city, I, I have never bought because some of the history. Relatively recent history, so last 30 years, that we'll talk about today of New York City shows you that whoever is in control of whatever regime understands what we talked about last week, which is that just letting your cities fall into the ground without, say, founding a new one. So Troy is succeeded by Rome. If you're not going to find something to succeed New York, and and maybe you will and maybe you won't, or maybe you're not even trying, but if you can't or don't or won't, then you cannot let it just fall into the ground. So I have never found that to be a very convincing vision that it will all just fall into the ground. Everything will turn it. Everything, I, I do not think that everything will be turned into Detroit.
0: No, well, but but Detroit did turn into Detroit. So th- that's where, like, I find the movie interesting. Not because it's going to, it, it, there's a whole other level of, like, how much are movies actually just false prophecies? Should we just see them? They're just false prophecies. We know it, unless a Christian made it, I guess, Mel Gibson's. But, like, like so here they are trying to tell us what the future is going to be in some way. and Yeah. They often have elements that are, like, spot on. And so I remember watching video from a year and a half ago of a firefight on the streets of New York. We got one gunman of minority persuasion running in a direction firing over his shoulder as he runs a moment later, another gunman runs after you know, full extension firing as he chases. And there is a police car maneuvering around them in the street, avoiding them entirely to go on with its, its route. Um, and right. this is out of New York. So to me, like whatever, whatever dystopic, you know, joke of a, of a permanent solution on your risk board escape from New York was, like what they were worried about it's actually it's, it's, it's right there right like like the cops aren't doing nothing and and that's where to me the you know what do these false dreams of false prophets really give us uh, they give us a platform to begin talking about what we're really facing and that that's where you want to go i think too is right you know, what's the reality here in the new dark ages the decline of the civilization that we're in seeing our imperial city whether we tell a dystopic story about it or a story about you know some guy who's trapped in his rat wheel life and then goes goes off the deep end, what's that real city like right now, and what can we learn about that in terms of where where it's going to lead us or how we might? I think you hit, you hit it on the head there. Found new cities um, to to counteract.
1: Yeah, because I, the gen the general narrative available either in a dystopian film or in the way that rising sea levels are discussed, particularly relative to New York, is a narrative of retrenchment. So you're not going to try anything new. You're going to simply make sure that you can secure what you do have. And you're going to have to lose a lot in the process. This is not the vision of the Empire State that we talked about, which was historically New York's ambition and desire. But I don't think it's also particularly accurate either. Not just because I am not a very good climate apocalypse believer, but also because I I don't I don't it is not what I see occurring. There have been gun battles on the streets of New York at various times for various, always political reasons. It's not like anyone wakes up and says, what I want in my neighborhood today is an open gun battle without benefit of police intervention. Nobody's looking for that particularly. When those things do occur, whether it's in the late 19th century with different generally ethnic mobs, then later after the Jews and the Italians sort of make an alliance during prohibition for mutual benefit, you get gunfights at that point over what are generally business dealings. Now, sometimes the violence involves criminal elements. Sometimes it appears to be entirely random, partly because of the prevalence of mental illness and psychoactive medications, both legal and illegal. Whenever that's going on, it's going on for political reasons. So the movie Death Wish was right about this, that the reason that justice is not being done is because in some measure the authorities do not want it to be done. That is not... Societal collapse. Societal collapse involves the simple fact of things no longer functioning. I would be willing to say that South Africa as a country is collapsing. Detroit and certainly New York City are not collapsed, they are retrenched in many ways, but they are simply living in their own ruins. That's something different, right? It's something, it's one thing to say there was a city here like Nineveh in biblical times, and now there's nothing. Right? That's collapse. I can imagine South Africa, which is a product of the British Empire as a state, no longer existing in 50 years because it's just not even capable of caring for itself on all kinds of levels. Detroit didn't go out of existence it became a shell of its former self. Now, I think that is visible simply in the architecture of the city of New York, where the things of greatest ambition have all been achieved, in some cases, for a very long time. And now the trick is to preserve them so that people want to live in at least those neighborhoods, which is why Manhattan has become so nice and affluent in the past 30 years. But nothing of like ambition is being done. And that is something different from saying that we are undergoing collapse. I think it is something more like dark ages have already come. You're already in them. But it's not like you're going to be aware of that in your own lifetime necessarily, because there is some continuity, right? So people... People lived in Rome between, you know, 476 and I don't know, the middle, you know, the high Middle Ages when you get some roughly similar level of cultural achievement in certain ways. It's not like it was empty. People were there. They were living there. They were Romans. They were very proud of it. Now, were they really the same people who were there in like AD or I'm sorry, 400 BC? No, they weren't. The population had been largely replaced by slave labor brought from the Middle East. Were they speaking the same language? No, they weren't speaking Latin anymore. Were they achieving the things or ruling over the same amount of territory as ancient Rome had? No, not at all. But they were Romans. So that's what I see happening with us is like, we're no longer going to produce a Chrysler building. We're not going to produce a flat iron building we're maybe going to take care of it or maybe we won't but we're still going to live there and call it the same thing and that that to me makes a lot more sense than saying that it's either just going to collapse or that nothing has changed that it's you know going on as it always has it seems to me that it has undergone retrenchment so we're kind of scaling back digging in trying to hold on to what we still have and I think that's easily visible in the architectural just ambition and excellence that we can no longer achieve. I mean, we're not going to build a new Central Park or a Grant's tomb or something. Joe Biden's tomb is not going to be as beautiful as Grant's tomb. It's just not going to happen.
0: I think that's your, your strongest point there is in recognizing that the era that we're coming out of uh, is is just an era of greater capacity than our own. And by that, I don't mean any of us lived in it. I mean that well, what what men of a century before were able to achieve in their civilization uh, in many ways just rests beyond the pale of what we will be able to achieve, no matter what you do. Now, one might make arguments like AI and and space travel and stuff, but... <clears throat> Talking architecture, though, I mean, you're talking endurance, right? You're talking about that which lasts, right.
1: yeah, right,
0: and, and so forth. They're leaving, leaving the mark. Um, hold on now, but th- there was another thought, though. I think that I want to come back to that thought, right? That, that okay. you yeah. know, the, the men of old uh, and in their capacity versus our own. Um, but oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Um, oh, that was it. Um, so. As you're using South Africa as an example of, of societal potential collapse, um, the the kind of hair in that seems to me to be that, you know, even if South Africa becomes like, what, a colony of China through industrial agreements or something like that because it can't yeah. survive on its own, you're still going to have people living in South Africa. Like, it, it's not going to be the collapse of, of Nineveh, probably. But maybe to, to just give another example that I would call yeah. collapse without everyone having to leave— is, um Syria and the explosion of the was it a petroleum facility or it, it wasn't nuclear I think it was a petroleum facility they, they, they had this massive explosion about a year ago that just yeah. shook the city because infrastructure was in fact collapsing right and and so that's yeah. to me remains the question for, for Chicago right I uh and yeah. it's not it's not about um you know just just Chicago just right now but like there is a nuclear plant that is 35 minutes away from me. That is under the purview of Springfield controls um, that they they almost shuddered to go wind only, which I guess that would solve the problem of potential, you know, nuclear collapse in, in, in incompetencies. Um, they didn't do that because they can't afford to do that because it's not going to work if they do that. So they, they kept the, the arrangement there, but it still remains there operating. I'm pretty convinced that the guy who's a member at my church, who's a computer engineer who runs stuff there, he knows what he's doing. So I don't think they're completely collapsing just yet. But when I get concerned about, say, a um, an administration at a national level that has a a frontman that is cognitively not present, while on the other side we're raising sixteen-year-olds to not know the difference between he and she, and to believe that they are furries and things like that. Like, at what point does my nuclear reactor become a problem for me? That's the question of collapse versus retrenchment, right? You're trying to keep what you had versus it right. falling apart. Um, and so again, your strongest point: we're we're definitely in the era of retrenchment as a whole, right? right. Um, but then that doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean there's not a good place to actually make a stand. And I think that's where you want to have a positive, you're, you're, you're speaking a positive word, really.
1: I am because I, I, I don't think that any of the things that were achieved were achieved by people who simply inherited them as givens in the way that many of the listeners will have probably thought about. The United States or Western civilization or something until a certain point where they realized that these things were actually under various kinds of threat. All the things that we've discussed with New York City were achieved by people who set their minds to something, sometimes to achieve things that were deemed at various times impossible. And the construction of lasting buildings I think is much more significant than having been to the moon at various times because, in the whole scheme of things, I look at having been to the moon similar to, I don't know, Henry Hudson's voyages, you know, in and around what becomes New York City. it 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 really achieves nothing of lasting value unless you settle it, unless you develop it, unless you maintain and extend dominion over it. so what what we're looking for is the exercise of dominion, not merely, having visited or having at one time seen or something like that. So in that case, I I don't find that that's like a capacity that the human being is going to lose altogether. I think it is simply much less widespread than it once was, partly because of the distraction, partly because of the sheer evils that become widely accepted by us. So that, that's, what, that's what I find is that at, at times of retrenchment, both human spirits, but then also because of human spirits, human achievements, the exercise of dominion, the desire for exploration or cultivation of some art or science it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So if you can't even maintain control over your own attention span, obviously you're not going to achieve... You're not gonna you're not gonna build what was considered a half-decent building in 1895. That's just the way it goes. So you're gonna remain in the I mean, Dark Ages is sort of a slander produced by the Enlightenment. We can we can talk about that term as a term and its accuracy some other time. The the point that I'm making is that these things don't happen by accident. People get sucked into ways of thinking and senses of possibility in certain times and then remain there and i think a lot of times we think that this is this is really only something that happens to people that are just necessarily you know small-minded that their whole world consists of the you know 70 people they know with any kind of familiarity and and the little place where they live. So we think this is somehow a function of small towns. Sometimes this is a function of entire civilizations, and then it becomes in, in especially poignantly sad and obvious in the places that should be places of greatest dynamism, but instead are places that are, I mean, just... just fallen down versions of their former selves
0: right so Street View 1923 versus 2023 does that, does that illustrate that
1: yeah well take yeah I mean take an example and it's it's helpful because we're we're more than a hundred years past the invention of reasonable camera technology so you can watch silent film even from before World War one but just go back a hundred years to 1923 and look at the way that people look on an average street in Manhattan or Staten Island or wherever, and then look at the same street, go to the same street, look at the people moving up and down on that street and going about their daily business in 2023. You'll find that they look physically different because we are afflicted in an... the real pandemic was obesity and remains obesity. What we are, are affl- you
0: talking about? We are yeah, afflicted in our heard.
1: bodies. Yeah, right. We're afflicted in our bodies. We generally are, are barely dressed or we are poorly dressed relative to our forebearers when they went out in public. Our bearing, our presence is often sort of slovenly or scared. Slouching, And this is just to speak of the people, not to speak of the places, which may now be placarded with attention-grabbing things, juvenile things, warping things in a way that was not the case so much in 1923. It's hard not to conclude that we are living in a ruin in that case. Now, it's a ruin that provides greater personal physical comfort. I do think that that is the thing that has continued to increase even as America has begun to slip into a dark age, is that personal physical comfort on a daily basis continues very often to increase. And and you'll notice this because this is the thing that they can sell to you without necessarily lying, is that they will take away something that you would have had formerly to do. Okay, so they can offer you this new thing. Now, you don't even have to look in your blind spot because we've got this little indicator light on your car that tells you when something's in your blind spot. So you you can do less. Now, I'm not saying that's good for you. I'm saying that's what they can reasonably actually offer you is greater personal comfort. The beauty of public spaces and the people you meet in them will and does continue to decline and that is something that is pretty easily visible whether you are physically there or you're just observing these things on some kind of you know film is that this will decline and it will continue to decline as long as you are continuing to enter a dark age
0: which which brings us back to is the it's the status of of the common man and the average man and that's where Yep. Not, not to say the dystopic narrative is correct. I love everything you said earlier about it. I, I, I remain kind of in the view that it's sort of a, a false prophet's way of getting some things right. Is what dystopia tends to be.
1: Yeah, I think dystopia makes palatable to the common man, who's going to be the audience for a Hollywood film, specifically. It makes palatable to him the things that seem to resemble dystopia in his everyday life. Yeah, it's the, not the like, concerns. You yeah. can
0: see the threads of That's where right. it's gonna go.
1: That's right. right. So so I I I give you, you know, 90 minutes of release of your hatred of certain facets of everyday life that your grandfather never had to deal with. That's obviously not a problem for a wealthy person who can insulate himself from these things. But the fact that your grandfather could walk around his neighborhood without fear of his life and people look nice and had some form of like public manners and all of that's gone. Well, that's obviously not going to be in the dystopic film.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So this common man that then is, is living in the current moment is the one that I am concerned, if not him, his children will not be able to operate the math that the infrastructure of our, of our world Runs on, and, and maybe they'll yeah. import them all from India, and we'll have enough. I, I, you know, I don't know. And is that racist? Did I say that? Was I racist? Maybe people from other countries who are doing the labor to learn basic kind of uh, skill sets and are willing to work for a lower income than the average um, uh, <laughs> hillbilly in Illinois, um, uh, maybe they'll come and they'll they'll save us all. Uh, immigration is our salvation. You know, people, that's a that's a policy. I don't think it's right, though. I, I think that what's in the water that is devolving our our thought capacity, which is a matter of distraction, which is a matter of the new media tools, which is uh, a, a accumulation of the greed of all men making you know private de- uh, selfish decisions over time. That's just piling itself on top of itself into bureaucratic jargon and, and babble that cannot communicate because it's lying for its own benefit all the time. So everyone's, yeah. you know, doing that, but still at, at some point, this little kid who just skipped three years of school and has like trouble talking because she had to wear a mask is going to be the one having to have a conversation with a room full of people about a nuclear plants, you know, next decision. And I, that's where to me, the, the collapsing factor here, um, uh, has to be seen, maybe, I don't think we're disagreeing at all, but like, yes, we're yeah. in the ruins, but it could get worse. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. yeah, it could get worse because the 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 notion of salvation by immigration is not even, it's not even true if you, as I, as I like to do on the show and I encourage people to do, is the more American history you learn, the more you can not only tell periods and, and people and places apart, but you also begin to learn to tell the difference between different kinds of white people. So this is just you can go look this up.
0: Dude, all white people are the same and, and they're I'm, all racist. Stop it.
1: Yeah they're all racist and we all <laughs> own slaves or, I look or proxies me. or something. I'd
0: tell you, you know. I, um, and I'm gonna
1: and I I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because you can look it up. You can look up the history of our defense programs. You can look up the history of our space program. You can look up the history of a lot of things is that let's say like the the two if you want to if you are willing to group in this way, the kind of base American stock populations to which my two sides of my family belong, which would be Yankee and Appalachian, respectively, neither of those is these groups. But what I will say is that America's 20th century, especially 20th century, technological achievements rely vastly disproportionately on white engineers from the originally from the Midwest. Okay. It's the same as saying that the venture capital industry doesn't take off unless people from the Northeast and then who eventually move to California make it what it is. That's just the fact. And acting like those groups didn't exist or aren't actually crucial or anecdotally, if you're a Missouri Synod Lutheran, you probably have a disproportionate number of engineers in your congregation. Relative to the general population, I bet you do. And I bet you don't have that many salesmen relative to the number of engineers that you have. Populations produce different characteristics and have different excellences. That's true of cultures throughout the world, throughout time. It's okay to admit that. New York runs off a certain kind of financial and commercial dynamism particularly from Yankees. If you take a look at these things historically, that's going to be the case. That shifts in the 20th century. And at this point, white males in many boards of publicly traded companies in the New York Stock Exchange are now very consciously discriminated against. That's not going to be the same civilization. India has development, it just doesn't have broad development. The really unique thing about the United States of America was that we would provide development, high standards of living for the common man. Our dark ages involves the erosion of that. Even if you could import infinity Indian engineers and they didn't engage in widespread caste warfare as they do in some companies already headquartered in the United States, If that didn't happen, they still would not bring you back to or maintain what your grandparents remember, because that was a civilization aimed to produce a certain kind of life for the common man. Indians don't produce that. They produce a highly stratified, this is what we're now getting in the United States of America, a highly stratified society with widely differing standards of living for different incomes. That's what's going to become normal.
0: Okay, it's already some, here.
1: Yeah, yeah, and in some places it's already here, right? So I don't think that that's going to be that's going to be happening. It's it's also why I, I you know it just people are not as replaceable as corporations treat us. We're just not, and know, so mean- it, if we want a certain vision of life, we have to as our forebears did, create it for ourselves. It's not going to be given to us. Even if none of these forces were hostile, let's say they said, oh, you're a white male. What are your test scores? <laughs> That's fine that you're a white male. What are your test scores? What have you objectively achieved? What did you create? Even if even if that were actually true, if we just waited on other people to create things for us, we would we would die waiting at this point. So, if you have a certain vision of life that you'd like to achieve, or you would like to build a memorial to a famous general as equally entrancing as Grant's tomb or the Victory Arch or the statue of Sherman, I'm just naming New York City things, then you got to do it for yourself. You always did. It's just that the factors working against you now may be much greater. <laughs> they may be much greater. Right.
0: All right. Which gets us back to, you know, the capacity of men before us. They just had shoulders to stand on that we don't have. And they had they fathers who told them where to go and what to do in ways right. that we didn't have. And uh, That's right. uh, so, uh, we you know, we've we're got 20, 23 minutes left here. Uh, yeah. And, and we want to get into... Uh, crime statistics, and how that leads to Rudy Giuliani. I can't say it right. Rudy Giuliani, right? What does Trump's lawyer have to do with crime in New York? Trump's
1: lawyer, yeah. Um, And somehow we haven't mentioned Trump at all, and that's okay. (laughs) It's
0: the greatest episode ever.
1: That's right. (laughs) Absolutely the best. Rudy Giuliani becomes mayor of New York City in reaction to a period of time, the 70s shading into the 80s and even the early 90s, when two things are happening in New York that we begin to have a sort of moment of racial upheaval and reckoning in the late 60s flowing into the early 70s that eventually will get New York's first black mayor and David Dinkins. It, it also sees the city endure a blackout that unlike a relatively recently previous blackout was full of crime and destruction in the late 70s. And the potential for the entire city of New York to go bankrupt, the potential, it didn't actually happen in the late 70s. That sort of racial reckoning, that upheaval, that destruction, that decline is mitigated by the financial well-being of Wall Street in the 80s. David Dinkins, the first black mayor, is elected. He beats Rudy Giuliani by a handful of points. And I, I, I want to say this in 1989. Dinkins wins. Crime continues to rise. The thing that I want to say about crime stats is that crime stats are also, to some degree, so I'm not calling them completely unreliable. They are, to some degree, a, a function of, of political categorization necessarily. So certain things are going to be reported. Certain things are not going to be reported. So when people say, well, crime is not as high today in 2023 as it was in the early 90s in New York or nationally or whatever, violent crime. I'm like, maybe, (laughs) or maybe you just moved some boxes around or got rid of some boxes that you used to put things into. I don't know. And so uh, there are some there are some celebrated cases in the '80s that lead up to the sense that the city is just simply out of control. There is the subway shooting in I believe 1984, where Bernie Gets shoots. He's white, if you can't tell from the name Bernhard Gets, where Bernie Gets shoots four black males in a subway whom he claims were trying to kill him. There's also the rape of the Central Park jogger, and I want to say that was 1989. These things are all racially loaded as crime and crime stats always are in the United States of America, because if you just look them up, the part that is reliable is that uh, blacks are going to commit a disproportionate amount of crime in the United States. That's true in every state. That's true in every city. So these things are all racialized. This is part of Dinkins's problem is that he's seen as soft on crime because it is detrimental not only to his race, but his race is considered as a political constituency. Giuliani loses in 89. In 93, he's going to win by basically the same percentage that he lost in 89. And the narrative is going to be the city is out of control. Now, Giuliani, Giuliani, and this is the way that these things work in the United States, Giuliani is not going to phrase that in explicitly racial terms. Black people in cities can talk about crime in racial terms. White people cannot. Those are just kind of the rules, certainly post-1960s. So Giuliani's pitch then, and this will be familiar to basically every listener, because it's probably the way, it's probably this sort of default for people, probably the way that you think about crime is that it's not a racial issue, it's a justice issue. Okay? So this is not about being unfair to this or that race. This is about like, you did something wrong, so you should be punished for it. That's understood as an implicitly racist argument now. But it also was in 1993. It's just that in 1993, the media was not nearly so monolithically against such an argument in terms purely of justice, which has a blindfold over her eyes. Because if you shoot somebody in the face illegitimately, whether you're black or you're white, you go to jail. That's the way it works, right? Giuliani's going to implement something that both in his term as mayor, through 9/11 and then into Michael Bloomberg's term as mayor after that is going to be the basic argument for what we do in New York, but then will' be immensely influential for the rest of the country, which is in order to shut down on violent crime, we will shut down on low level crime that it, it's sort of it's it's usually called broken windows policing. But you can think of it as if we try to maintain your daily quality of life, that will also decrease all of the other forms of crime that are much more serious that could end your life assault rape murder right if we make sure that you can't just people can't just run around this neighborhood breaking windows that's going to be implemented and the, the tactic that they especially use is called stop and frisk so if someone looks suspicious he's stopped and he is searched okay That is the very thing that I think, this is why I think we have kind of gone back to the 70s. That's the very thing that begins to end as acceptable public policy in 2020. So George Floyd, that whole thing did not transpire in New York City, but it affected New York City immediately in a way that was really a reversal of what began to happen in 1993. And what that means is simply that the city gets to decline. In this case, it's in the name of racial politics. And because these things are sacrosanct, it's almost like if you spoke against it, you are evil, right? Because you are racist, because you don't understand how stop and frisk is disproportionately affecting young black males or something. And and anything that you say against them or for this policy or whatever is necessarily evil. Here's what I think changed I, it takes politics and makes it a religious matter. Yes. Right? So certain things are blasphemous, biblically speaking, because they go against the God of the universe. They go against his word, they go against his nature, his will, whatever. In politics, you you really cannot operate with the same definition of what is acceptable to be said, because you're supposed to allow things to stand, to just go out there on the table. So if you're gonna have open public discussion or you're gonna have discussion, let's say you're it's a monarchy, so you've got the king and his advisors, whatever your setup is, you have to, in order to make good decisions, you have to be able to just openly state what something is. So if I say that this is the nature of crime in my neighborhood, then you know, that's, I, I have to be able to say that. So you get a situation in a sort of politico religious regime, you get a situation such as you have today in New York. So New York in 20, 2020 or 2021, can't remember exactly. I, I want to say it was 21. New York elects its second black mayor, Eric Adams. Okay. Eric Adams gets elected on a platform that is considered to be significantly less progressive than some of his opponents. I think some of whom are Jewish, some of whom are Asian. I think one was Hispanic. I can't remember who all was in the Democratic field, but that's the only field that matters for New York City mayor. Eric Adams gets elected. Why? Particularly because he says we're gonna bring we're gonna bring the city back from COVID, but also we're gonna stop crime. We're gonna, we're gonna cut down on crime. This is wildly popular. Guess what? <laughs> Black people, Hispanic people, white people, Asian people, nobody likes getting shot. <laughs> nobody likes getting mugged. Nobody likes gunfights on the streets. Nobody actually likes these things. You're not dealing with an, with an example of something culturally specific to whites, that they like orderliness on the street. And it's white supremacy when you expect people not to break windows. You're dealing with something that is a matter of natural law. So he gets elected on this platform. Why does he get elected rather – because Adams is not a terribly articulate man, nor was he particularly well-known. How does he get ele- – he gets elected because a black man is allowed to say those things. You're still dealing with a religious situation. It's just a racialized religious situation, okay? And the reason that I think that that is another symptom of the dark ages for the United States or that we are in decline or that New York City is whatever Mayor Adams has been able to achieve, especially in the subways since he got elected – We're still dealing with a situation of decline is where we cannot openly state what the case is, that this is a matter of justice and not a matter of, of, you know, uh, just merely political constituencies organized around race and the games that they necessarily play. Because when I cannot actually say what is going on, I cannot actually figure out how to do better. So if I'm saying hashtag stop Asian hate but I'm not saying like, well, who and under what circumstances are these Asian people in New York City being attacked? I cannot actually get better or solve the problem. If I can't, and we've talked a lot about crime and race in like the past 10 minutes, but if I can't do the similar thing for architecture and I can't say, well, why am I unable to do what they could do 100 years ago? And how do I approach doing what they were doing 100 years ago? I will never equal or surpass what they did 100 years ago. I will never do anything equally beautiful. It's sort of, there's there's like a basic lie at the heart of decline, even without media, even if none of us knew anything of what was going on in New York City. There are lies at the heart of decline that I think are absolutely essential to counteracting. And if those lies are allowed to per, to to continue, if they're permitted to exist, then they will corrode everything else around them. We will talk in euphemisms about crime. We will speak very vaguely and ambiguously about whether this architecturally is the equal of that architecturally. We will never obtain justice or excellence or any other goal we might have because we're basically lying to ourselves in any variety of ways. Right,
0: right. We've got a magical dogmatic terminology that Right. Limits what we're able to say, and as a result, we can't talk about the elephants sitting there in the room because elephants don't exist. And you know, it's 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 an, it's an old hack <laughs> idea, right. right? Yeah, but but yeah. It's, it's spot on to where we are politically, and and particularly the insight that if you're if you're a, <laughs> if you're a man in a city right now, and you are white, then your ability as a politician. To look and act a certain way at all is just off-limits, right? even if it is who you are, and in fact, better than that, what the city needs, right? What the people need, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. And on a certain level, the rejection of your ability to improve the scenario in the name of your being a white male is a sweet aroma of sacrifice to the gods. It's okay that we have to decline because this other reality racial justice is more virtuous than the well-being of all people right yeah um and and that that recognition that we're i'm not allowed to even say that much what i just said like i'm not in the pulpit right now everybody you know i do this in the pulpit it's a different game isn't it now right Um, why why is that it's not so much that we need to be able to say bad things about other people groups it'd be nice if white people could talk about themselves and get honest with themselves a little bit about their own whatever rather than always being like there's no such thing right or that we're not different we're all the same Um, when it's just not it's just not true what traditionally culturally I mean Kwanzaa aside for goodness sakes, uh, there there is a history here, right? And if we're going to figure out what destroyed us, let's get real narrow on parochial LCMS. Yeah. Now, if we're going to find out what destroyed us, then we can't have questions be off limits because NBC will be mad. Right? Like it's, right. It just can't be that way.
1: That's we have right. To, yeah. We have to
0: be able to hold our own. And frankly, to bring the race issue inside, you know, the LCMS has as many ghosts and skeletons on this as can be on both sides. Of the of the racial barrier, um, racism is rank in my experience in the LCMS, from whites to blacks and from blacks to whites. Um, nothing new here.
1: I think that, I mean, wh- whites as a group are a particularly specific example of of incapacity to to state what is actually going on. So you'll notice that whites are not described as indigenous, even in Europe, much less let's say I have. I have ancestors that lived on Staten Island and in Brooklyn in the 17th century, but I couldn't like go there today and and claim property as if I were an American Indian. Right. So they're 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 never indigenous. And then, but when they are somewhere, then other people should get to be there. But it never flows in the other direction. And saying that out loud is not a function of anger or uh, phobia of any kind. It just is an observation about the way that we talk about whites as a group. So when you think about it that way, it's like, yeah, i I am not going to achieve really anything in life unless I am allowed to say things clearly and to have them responded to in a clearer way. right? I was originally supposed to do a podcast episode with Pastor Broughton on Gottesdienst about the annotated large catechism that, came out and then didn't come out and the reason that I didn't do it is because it's who knows what it's going to be now right uh, what can I say about something that doesn't really exist I guess
0: I don't know but it made but, a big deal in some corners apparently I don't even know it
1: made, it made a big deal yeah, big
0: big fight LCMS fight inside
1: I, do, I don't I, I don't really I I do not understand how a church in, in this case the LCMS but in the case that we've been talking about New York City or the United States of America can really survive if you are not going to let questions be asked about what is going on. So, I I mean, I thought that President Harrison's openness to, well, maybe we need to look at this more, was very commendable because I find it to be very rare for people to be non-defensive and open and honest about things i mean i such people i find to be very rare and very interesting to talk to because most people work off such small amounts of information and and no willingness to back off their own ideas and consider what else could be true or possible in the sense of facts their truth and in the sense of projects their possibility People are like, well, this is what I think, and this is what we're doing, and this is – so, like, you need to live with it, and you need to deal with it. And the openness to discuss these things – I mean, if somebody, if somebody is upset about something that I'm doing at my church, right, and they want to talk to me in my office, okay, that's great. <laughs> Let's talk about it. You know, I mean – like n- nothing nothing that anyone goes to a New York City or a Washington, D.C. or anywhere else to see, to visit as a tourist was built by somebody who was completely unable to admit that he was ever wrong about anything. You know, greatness and great things and beautiful things are not achieved by the kind of small mindedness that is never willing to admit that you could be wrong about anything. And I said this on the Discord, but I mean, this is the reason that we structure Brief History of Power the way we do, where neither I nor Pastor Fisk is dependent upon it in any kind of way. Because I think that dependency creates a situation that is bad for everybody. It's ult- dependency ultimately suppresses truth in media not not in everything i mean you're you're dependent on your spouse and she or he is dependent on you and that's a good thing <laughs> that creates truthfulness and that that fosters love but in media or in public discussion of facts or projects dependency fosters some measure of conscious or unconscious dishonesty it's just in the nature of the beast so we want to be able to publicly discuss things and and i i welcome public discussion of these things but a lot of times whether it's in our church body or whatever else things are produced publicly but they're not really for public discussion they're for public consumption correct and that's <laughs> that's that's really different you know it i mean i could difficult stand to up handle
0: yeah. changing terrain yeah. In, in the, it right. just it makes it difficult to handle anything that's different than it was yesterday. It really does.
1: Right. Because we, we all have our own ideas of what the world looks like and why it's that way and whether it's a good thing that this neighborhood in, you know, whatever, Brooklyn is gentrifying or whether gentrification is just a euphemism for white people. And so is it bad if white people move it? You see how this works? We have all these euphemisms. Can we talk about it openly? If we can't talk about it openly, we really cannot remain together as a group or achieve anything as a group. And that goes for churches and that goes for church bodies and that goes for families and that goes for nation states and city states.
0: So from that profound point that we could almost end the show on i can you tell me the narrows of this whole controversy which i really did miss out on i found the one twitter thread that was shared in discord and i kind of read it and and it gave me enough information to know i didn't know what i was reading about at all except i mean there were some nice things like financial um uh uh, accountability for the lcms and Mm -hmm. and that's all great I'm, i'm all for these things um i don't know the twitter threads get us there. But this was a big deal. What what was the problem with this document which is the large catechism which in theory in theory shouldn't be a problem to publish. Yeah, it what right? and it
1: wasn't the large catechism per se, it was the essays interpreting or applying the large catechism that right. were an issue. And the issue was was that they contained the seeds of or the full expression of, right, I'm trying to give you a sense of the Spectrum of debate here, critical race theory, or an inability to defend the notion of self-defense, and essay uh, on the on the fifth commandment, or just various things like that. You can go find us. The original, the thing that like made news outlets was Ryan Turnipseed's thread.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: So you so you can find that. So that's 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 kind of I think that was sort of the 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 center, the epicenter, of the whole thing. Wow. I, that tells you what so, the
0: media reach will do, though. Nineteen-year-old yeah, right, kid exactly. just makes the LCMS right. president talk.
1: So <laughs> the thing that I, the thing that that I have mostly talked about in, in explaining it recently is, is are not the specific issues because I don't know if these things are going to disappear or if it's going to be revised and then published or they're going to publish separate books. It. And that's that's up to people that have that job. It's not my job.
0: That's how we got two hymnals <laughs> at the same time.
1: <laughs> right, but but the notion that like you can't talk about these things or talking about them is off limits, or right, that's what I really don't find to be healthy for anybody.
0: Right, but what is the forum for these things in a church body? That's probably a topic from another time. Uh, you're just recognizing that we don't even have the language to have an honest conversation because we've had our terminology usurped by the Borg. Um, and there I go. Yeah. we Right. You know? We
1: need spaces and places. Otherwise, every single issue will be handled the way you, know, you are if you're an aspiring white male, heterosexual white male politician in New York City today, and that is you have no future. So, if you want every single problem that we have to not actually be something we can publicly discuss, then you should treat that problem and the people that differ from you on it the way. That the Democratic Party would handle a heterosexual Christian white male politician from, say, somewhere far out in Queens, almost into Nassau County. And that is by just ignoring him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Uh, That's not going to make him go away and that's not going to solve your city's problems. But it will allow you to retain your sense that everything that you think and that you do is good and we're not living in the dark ages and we're doing just fine. And which everybody knows on some level just isn't true.
0: Yeah. And it brings it back to where we ended the last episode, which was my Nassim Tlaib quote about <laughs> uh, never uh, listening to anyone you cannot penalize for lying to you. Right. So, so much of what prevents us from being like the men of not that old, I mean, it's, it's not like 1910 uh, is that long ago, but uh, the men of old's capacity to do, to build, to see. Right. You've listened to this show long enough. Do you know what I'm gonna say? It's mainly because you're too distracted. Like like <laughs> it's most of what it is. Like entertainment. Like I want to relax. Okay, that's mostly why you've done nothing with your life. That that's pretty much it. Right. Like there, there's some other reasons perhaps. But by and large, why are we as a society cumulatively doing nothing with our lives? And, and watching instead maybe we're trying to prop up a falling ruined structure but like the thought that hey wait let the wall fall over build a new wall never comes to our mind why because I'm watching Netflix
1: <laughs> yeah that's right it's, it's, that's right so it. you 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 can't be Nehemiah because you're being entertained
0: correct correct and that's not mm, that's worth its own its own its own chase but um the distraction uh I my I recommended to two of my daughters a couple of books. Um, I mean, I'm going to back up just a touch, and we're going a little over, but I, well, part of the the curriculum development here at, at the Hebron Collegium in Lakewood Hills, Illinois, just outside Rockford, uh, Gap Year Bible School for Men, part of the core curriculum, on top of reading the Bible more or less twice in a year, is... Exposure to a library of good things Wherein currently the assignment is every week you are to pick up five different books and read Ten pages read the introduction read the first chapter. I don't care. You're gonna read Early in that book. You're not gonna read that whole book You're gonna do that with five books a week and you're going to then take notes on that that and then conjugate all those notes into a report that I get once a week and in this way you are given time to simply explore information, explore beauty, right? Find something in all this. In any case, so building on this idea, which has worked out wonderfully so far in the time we've been using it, um, I decided to try to homeschool a little bit, bring bring this home. And I picked up a couple of books uh, for each of my two oldest kids and said, just do 10 pages. I don't care if you'd read anymore your assignments do 10 pages and I threw him pretty hard stuff like I threw my my 18 year old ideas have consequences by weaver which I mean golly I mean it's, it's a that's a piece of work but I also threw her um, psychology the briefer course by now I'm losing his name though you
1: read William him? James William James yes sir
0: which she is she is plowing and making her way through now all of this is to get to William James who to me And I've only read maybe 10 pages of psychology, the brief, of course, in that I saw a man who had mastered information and knowledge in a way that I could only pretend to dream about. And and I want that. And I guarantee you that guy wasn't scrolling on his phone. He just wasn't. There's just no way he was. Instead, every time he was doing something, he was doing what he was doing. Right, and as opposed to being sold something to do, trying to figure out what to do because he's bored, he was he was following a thread he'd been pulling his whole life, and so what what struck me again is even we had this conversation the first time, and I think we when we did first talk about this, it was about William James. Um, for me, it's been okay. Well, I don't have my whole life. I don't get to start when I'm 17. I got to start when I'm 43. Okay, fine. Here we go. But can I pull on one thread my entire life? Can I actually do it? And I've already got the thread, duh, it's a church, I'm a pastor. Like I, that should be obvious. But it wasn't to me in the sense of, you know, I, I, I was just assuming things were going to go on as they had from the beginning, right? Uh, and didn't realize how less my capacity was than it was before. Another example just to throw out there is, uh, is Kittle, right? Um, the theological dictionary of the New Testament. I know he didn't produce that thing entirely by himself, but I mean, who's going to do that again? Or take it to the next level because it's got holes and flaws, right? Um, it, it, we're just so far past where they were, but that doesn't mean don't do something. It means like put a stick in the ground now, right? Don't let yourself forget that that stick is there. Let it be a focal point. Start cutting off the distractions, which doesn't have to be your phone, right? It doesn't have to be your phone, but but it is distractions, right? And and hone what you're, what you're watching, what you see, let your eye look on those things, which are about the things you want the future to be. And again, it doesn't. You can't dream it up on Netflix and then go do it. It doesn't work that way. Um, you can, you can build a really bad chair, and then you can make a somewhat better chair, and then you can make a pretty good chair, right? Um, doesn't have to be the chair, but what, what are you going to do? Or are you just going to sit here and complain? about how it's all collapsing. And when it isn't even collapsed yet, you're just living in the ruins in one minute. There we go. <laughs> uh,
1: do you want to say something like that before I close it up? Christ is risen. We are going to win.
0: Hallelujah. As Jesus Christ lives, that's a good way to end it. And I'll just say Deo Valente. You're listening to A Brief History of Power. You know where to find us or you wouldn't be here. The Hebrew Collegium is a gap year Bible school for men in Rockford, Illinois. Semi-monastic boot camp for Christian living. Cowards and slackers need not apply.
1: At 7,123 feet, you can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you, natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this. At 7,123 feet in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you can also find God's word preached purely and his sacraments given out for your salvation at our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Located off U.S. 160, just west of downtown Pagosa, our Savior offers your children a wonderful place to learn of Christ and His wisdom week in and week out, and offers you the medicine of immortality Sunday in and Sunday out. Our Savior Lutheran School provides a Christ-focused classical education that enriches the child's soul with the best that has been thought and said to the glory of God. Whether you visit while vacationing or hunting in the beauty of the area, or whether you would like to join a group of faithful Lutheran Christians, our Savior, Pagosa Springs, has what you're looking for. Divine service with Holy Communion is each Sunday at 9 a.m., and Bible class follows at 10.30. At more than a mile high, you will find Christ in all his glory in the midst of his people at our Savior Lutheran Church and School a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. Find out more at oslcpagosa.org. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes, small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament, where the Lord's Word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional liturgical parish May be found at Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith in the beautiful inland Northwest. <laughs>